Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Nexar Technologies Q2 2020 earnings call. At this time, all participant lines are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's call is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I will now like to hand the conference over to Mr. Jason Gursky, <coughs> Vice President of Investor Relations and Treasure. Thank you. Please go ahead. Good afternoon and thanks, operator. Welcome to Maxar's second quarter 2020 earnings conference call. I'm joined today by the company's Chief Executive Officer, Dan Jablonski, and its Chief Financial Officer, Biggs Porter. Both are going to make some opening remarks, after which we're going to open up the line for your questions. We're shooting to wrap up the call in about an hour. Before we get started, I'd like to refer listeners to the accompanying slides for today's call, which can be found on the company's website, maxr.com, in the Investor Events and Presentations section of the site. Once there, please turn to slide two, where I would like to remind you that part of today's discussion, including responses to various questions, may contain forward-looking statements which represent the company's estimates, future plans, objectives, and expected performance at today's date. These statements are based on current assumptions that the company believes are reasonable, but are subject to a wide range of uncertainties and risks that could lead actual results to differ materially from the forward-looking information. You referred to the advisory regarding forward-looking statements contained in our quarterly earnings release, the earnings call slide deck, and the company's most recent MD&A section found in Form 10-Q, which is available online under the company's CDAR profile at CDAR.com, under the company's Edgar profile at SEC.gov, or on the company's website at MaxR.com. With that, I'd like to uh, turn the discussion over to Dan. Dan, go ahead. Thanks, Jason, and good afternoon, everyone. We appreciate you joining us for a review of our second quarter results and an update on our outlook. Importantly, I hope this call finds you and your family safe and healthy. As you are all aware, the world continues to combat the coronavirus outbreak, and our objective at Maxar is to ensure the health and welfare of our employees and their families, our customers, and our communities. We remain focused on protecting our workforce while producing the products and solutions needed by our partners to complete their critical missions. I'm pleased to report that all Maxar locations remain operational through a combination of work from home and limited personnel working on site. I remain encouraged by the tremendous efforts of Maxar team members to continue delivering on essential services while minimizing risks to employees and our communities. As I mentioned last quarter, we identified four primary risk areas related to COVID, supply chain, workforce productivity, longer sales cycles, and constrained capacity to fulfill contracts given social distancing restrictions. We're also closely watching trends on infection rates vaccine development efforts, and anticipating the impact that back-to-school protocols could have on our teammates with children at home. Our mitigation strategies have been working so far, but we are seeing some potential push-outs on commercial awards 
in the Earth intelligence business given an elongating sales cycle. We're redoubling our mitigation efforts on commercial sales and hope to close out as many deals as practicable by the end of the year. Overall, the demand environment for our products and services remains resilient and robust. Our Earth Intelligence customers continue to rely on us for important national security and commercial missions, and we've seen little to no impact on underlying demand for our Earth Intelligence products and services, just modestly longer sales cycles with some of our commercial customers. In space infrastructure, demand too has been little affected. In fact, we had another solid quarter of new orders in Q2, having announced over $700 million in new bookings year to date. I'll go into more details on the demand environment as we go through the presentation. So please turn to slide three for some highlights of the company's recent performance. This was another busy quarter, and I'm pleased with the solid performance of the team. First, we began extending our debt maturity schedule with a $150 million notes offering that will come due in 2027. Proceeds were used to acquire the remaining 50% of 3D technology company Rycon that we did not already own. I am really excited about the combination of these two transactions as they place a key technology fully in our hands and put our capital structure on firmer footing. Moving to quarterly performance, the Earth Intelligence business posted solid 6% year-over-year revenue growth. This is a great outcome by the team, and we look forward to further success in the quarters and years ahead, particularly as Legion capacity comes online to help meet the solid demand we see. Importantly, adjusted EBITDA margins expanded more than 500 basis points year-over-year, year, driven by a mix in lower expenses in light of COVID-related travel restrictions and other savings. In space infrastructure, we saw a return to year-over-year year top-line growth and roughly 200 basis points of margin expansion. This is a market improvement over the first quarter of the year, which absorbed charges related to COVID and a late-stage testing anomaly on a satellite program. I'm happy to report that that testing anomaly-related charges appear to have been sufficient, and we're looking forward to getting the satellite shipped and launched. We also had another solid quarter of diversified bookings and finished with a book-to-bill of over 2.5 times for the second quarter in a row. Getting just a little bit of background noise there. Total company adjusted EBITDA increased $30 million year over year and margins expanded more than 500 basis points driven by solid performance at Earth Intelligence, improvements at space infrastructure, and lower expenses. Free cash generation tracked in line with expectations at $11 million, which is an improvement from the first quarter when we consumed $73 million. Total company book to bill was roughly 1.6 times in quarter and now stands at approximately 1.4 times year to date. That number of course is dampened by the continued drawdown of backlog related to the enhanced view contract signed in 2010. Without this effect, book to bill would have been higher. As you know, enhanced view related backlog from the original contract will burn to zero this quarter and will move to booking annual option exercises into backlog when we receive those orders, which is typically late in the third calendar quarter each year. Now to a few words on guidance. We are increasing both revenue and adjusted EBITDA guidance for the year, driven by solid execution in Q2 and the inclusion of RICON in the forecast. And that's offset in part by some caution on commercial earth intelligence, given the elongating sales cycle I mentioned earlier. Adjusted EBITDA guidance for the year moves up to a range 
of $415 million to $445 million, which is $40 million higher since last quarter and is now above the initial guidance we issued on our fourth quarter earnings call in March. Please turn to slide four for an update of our 2020 priorities. First, we said back in the fourth quarter call that we'd be focused on getting the MDA transaction closed so that we could reduce debt levels. We also said we'd be looking to deploy capital in a disciplined fashion and maintain the financial flexibility we'd need to fund the growth opportunities we see in front of us. To date, we have performed well. Despite COVID, we closed the MDA deal and reduced our indebtedness. Our leverage ratio is healthy relative to covenants, and we had over $500 million in liquidity at the end of the quarter. We also began extending our maturities and have no material debt due until the end of 2023. And more importantly, we deployed capital into the Vricon asset, which we believe will extend our leadership in the earth intelligence business. These are great steps and provide us with flexibility to execute on our multi-year growth plan. Our second priority is to continue to position our earth intelligence business for long-term growth by focusing on the Worldview Legion build, ramping our sales and marketing efforts at the capacity this constellation will add to our existing operations, and continuing to leverage our investments in artificial intelligence, machine learning, analytics, platforms, and products. Here again, we are making good progress. The segment has grown 6% year-to-date. In addition to the Janus, Here and Toyota awards we announced in Q1, we signed five large international defense renewals this quarter, as well as a $23 million contract with the Department of Homeland Security to develop an analytics system for characterizing and tracking the behavior of vehicles in multiple domains at scale and in near real time. The Vricon acquisition will be a key part of our growth story going forward, given the unique 3D capabilities, software, and technology it brings to our customers. A few words about the Legion program, which remains in line with budget expectations, and we continue to expect launches to begin in the first half of 2021. We are in active conversations with both government and commercial customers about Legion, and we expect the Constellation's capacity will be a driver of growth over the next several years, given the solid demand signals we continue to see. The sales cycle is tracking in line with our expectations, and we will provide further updates as we get closer to launch. I'd like to take a minute to remind investors of our long-standing relationship with our largest customer, the U.S. government. Maxar has been a trusted provider of commercial satellite imagery to the U.S. government for nearly 20 years, delivering innovative solutions with superior quality, cost, speed, security, and reliability. And we continue to innovate. We provide online near real-time access to geospatial data for more than 300,000 U.S. government users through our relationship with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. We're helping stand up a 3D synthetic training environment with the U.S. Army and our recently completed commercial imagery study contract with the U.S. National Reconnaissance Office, coupled with the enhanced fee follow-on agreement signed back in 2018, demonstrates that the U.S. government recognizes the value of commercial satellite imagery and highlights the U.S. government's confidence in Maxar's current and future capabilities like Worldview Legion. We are proud to support the government's missions and look forward to continuing to work closely with the NGA, the Army, and with the NRO as it increasingly adopts commercial imagery. As you are aware, the Enhanced View Follow-On contract now with NRO, like its predecessor, is a multi-year agreement subject to annual renewals on September 1st of every year. 
This renewal dynamic has been very predictable in the past, and we expect the same outcome later this quarter. However, our current expectation is that sometime prior to the next renewal cycle in September of 2021, that our customer is likely to put us on a new contract vehicle as it looks to potentially expand its use of commercial geospatial data sources in future years. From what we understand, this acquisition process is likely to include other companies interested in providing data to the U.S. government. Maxar is the leading commercial provider of geospatial data and analytics and has long competed successfully with advanced technologies and a track record of solid execution. We're also a U.S. company with satellite assets that were and are being manufactured here in the U.S., launched with U.S. providers and are operated out of U.S. facilities. We think we have great advantages that position us well in future competitions for commercial and government contracts here and abroad. Earth intelligence is a growing market and a strong competitive environment is positive for both the industry and its customers. It spurs innovation, lowers costs, and proliferates the use of the industry's products and services. We are excited about the opportunity to continue to provide world-class service and are confident in our ability to match our product and service capabilities to the U.S. government's and other customers' growing needs. Turning now to our third set of priorities for the year, which has been the continued re-engineering and diversification of space infrastructure. Again, we've made solid progress year-to-date with bookings in both the civil and commercial markets, and that combination has led to more than $700 million in new awards year-to-date and a book-to-bill of 2.5 times for our space segment. On re-engineering, we continue to make progress on plans to reduce our footprint and to streamline processes and operations. On the performance side of things for space infrastructure, we saw nice improvement in the second quarter, both on a year-over-year and a quarter-on-quarter basis. Revenue returned to growth, driven by ramping U.S. government programs, and margins ticked up to 6%, better reflecting the underlying profit potential we see over time. Recall, This business is working its way through some programs and forward loss positions, which dampen margin rates until they are delivered in 2021. We expect normalized adjusted EBITDA margins to be north of 10% in future years. And this quarter's performance provides a view of the underlying health of our remaining backlog. With regard to demand, we continue to see a pretty full pipeline across the commercial, civil, military, and classified domains. In commercial, we're seeing a mix of geo and leo demand, While in civil, we continue to pursue missions that leverage our 1300-class architecture and our robotics and solar electric propulsion and power capabilities. On the military and classified side of things, there are a number of programs related to the U.S. government's increasing investments in space, particularly in systems with distributed architectures. We remain very focused on diversification and believe that successful execution of our strategy will lead to sustained growth over time. Now, before moving on, I want to double-click for a moment on the commercial LEO comms area, given the high-profile nature of some of the recent headlines. Over the past few quarters, we've seen a bankruptcy, a succession of operations, and even some successful launches. We are going to remain very disciplined in our approaches across both LEO and GEO offerings, and we'll look to carefully balance risk with reward as the dynamics of customer plans and initiatives evolve. We have an outstanding range of capabilities across both LEO and GEO and the capability to design, develop, and build the wide span of network architectures that our customers are exploring. But we will not likely pursue nor win every available program. And importantly, we have not factored the proposed Telesat LEO program into our current and multi-year outlook. 
I hope that our investors understand and appreciate that we are laser focused on profitably growing the company. We will be steadfast in pursuing our diversification strategy to drive sustained growth over time and believe that being disciplined, both in terms of risk and reward, will create significant shareholder value. Which leads me to slide five. I'd like to emphasize what we view as the core investment thesis in Maxar. First, as I discussed at length in the first quarter earnings call, we have solid visibility across the business. Roughly 60% of our revenue streams are derived from the Earth Intelligence business where we provide data, data analytics, and platforms to domestic and international governments and commercial customers, largely through recurring multi-year contracts. The other 40% of our revenues come from the space infrastructure side of the business, where we provide communications and Earth observation satellites, space exploration spacecraft, robotics, and other space hardware to commercial and government customers through multi-year construction and on-orbit service contracts. We don't have perfect visibility and there are always unknown unknowns out there, but our current revenue streams are derived from some of the most demanding customers in the world who rely on our products and services for critical missions, and we've been performing year in and year out with many of them. That affords us some level of comfort on the outlook for our business over the near, medium, and longer term, even if the world looks a bit less certain today given the pandemic. This leads me to the second investment point. Our portfolio of products and services is well aligned with our customers' mission needs, and in particular with a national defense strategy here in the U.S., which emphasizes investments in space resiliency, C4ISR, and autonomous systems. The markets that both space infrastructure and Earth intelligence address are growing, and we are well positioned to win our fair share of future customer work. We'll also make investments in critical technologies, such as the 3D software and intellectual property that Vricon brings to the table, to assure that we are in an advanced position to help our customers perform their critical missions. The third point is that we have an opportunity to expand margins over time through improved execution in our space infrastructure business and via mix, which we believe is likely to favor our data and data analytics, data analytics businesses. Said another way, there's some self-help here, as well as some growth-driven margin expansion. We will achieve that both by streamlining our operations, being disciplined with new bookings, and making investments to drive growth. And lastly, capital intensity. We operate in two relatively capital intensive businesses, though the incremental capital in our space infrastructure business is relatively light at this point, given the long heritage of the company and its operational footprint. With that said, we are very focused on driving higher returns on invested capital across both space infrastructure and Earth intelligence, and believe the Legion Constellation will be the biggest driver over the next several years. These six satellites are less expensive and will be more capable than the predecessors that they will be replacing, and when combined with a growing revenue stream should drive incremental ROIC. So these four items, when taken together, are likely to drive growth and higher returns in Maxar, which we believe will create expanding value for our shareholders over time. Now with that, I'd like to hand the call over to Biggs for a discussion of this quarter's financials. Thanks, Dan. Uh, please turn to slide six, where we present quarter-to-quarter and year-over-year comparisons for Q2 results. Total company revenues increased 7% year-over-year in the quarter, driven by growth across the company. In Earth intelligence growth was driven by new contract awards and expansion of programs within international defense and intelligence and U.S. government customers. Space infrastructure returned to growth driven by U.S. government programs in part offset by lower commercial revenues given the cadence of bookings 
over the past several years. Importantly, we expect this trend to reverse in the second half of the year given recent commercial awards that are beginning to ramp. Adjusted consolidated EBITDA margins increased 520 basis points year-over-year, driven by margin expansion in both our operating segments and lower corporate expenses as the year-ago period absorbed retention costs related to 2019 program as space infrastructure. Quarter-over-quarter quarter compared to Q1, total company revenues increased 15%, driven by modest growth in Earth intelligence and a sharp increase in space infrastructure given the charges this segment experienced in the first quarter, a portion of which affected revenue. Adjusted EBITDA margins expanded 1,120 basis points, driven by quarter-over-quarter -quarter margin expansion in both segments, offset by a 2 million increase in corporate expenses, primarily due to an increase in stock-based compensation. Gap EPS from continuing operations was zero in the second quarter of 2020, versus income of $2.33 in the second quarter of 2019. The change in per share results is due primarily to the $183 million of insurance proceeds received in Q2-19 associated with Worldview 4. Year-to-date, revenues are down 3%, while adjusted EBITDA margins have increased 160 basis points. Please turn to slide 7. Earth intelligence revenues increased 6% year-over-year in the quarter, driven by international defense and intelligence customers, new contract awards, and expansion of existing programs with the U.S. government. Adjusted EBITDA margins increased 540 basis points year-over-year, driven by the timing of international defense and intelligence revenues mentioned earlier, lower service costs, and an increase in income recognized from the RICON joint venture the acquisition of which closed after quarter end. As a reminder, we will see a 10 million sequential revenue and adjusted EBITDA decline in the third quarter, and an additional 20 million sequential decline in the fourth quarter, as deferred revenue on the original enhanced view contract burns off at the end of August. Earth intelligence revenues increased 3% quarter to quarter, Due to the timing of customer renewals, while adjusted EBITDA margins expanded 340 basis points, driven by higher international defense and intelligence revenue and lower travel costs due in part to our continued work from home posture. We expect adjusted EBITDA margins in the second half of the year to decline as we absorb the $40 million reduction in revenue and adjusted EBITDA associated with the burn-off of the enhanced view contract I mentioned a moment ago. We may see slightly higher expenses in the second half on changes in mix and from slightly higher discretionary spending. On a year-to-date basis, revenues increased 6% year-over-year, and adjusted EBITDA margins are up 260 basis points due in part, or due in large part, to higher margin revenue and lower cost stemming from the factors mentioned earlier. Please turn to slide eight. Space infrastructure revenues increased 2% year-over-year, primarily as a result of increased volume on U.S. government contracts, offset by reductions in volume on commercial programs. Adjusted EBITDA margins expanded to earn 10 basis points year-over-year, as mix begins to favor the more recent bookings, offset by 6 million in incremental COVID-related EAC growth, as we shifted our assumption about a return to a more normal-level operating environment 
from the second half of this year to the first half of 2021. In addition to 2 million of the COVID impact, we recorded an additional 15 million estimated loss due primarily to continued supplier performance issues related to the one large satellite program and backlog that we have discussed is in a loss position. However, we also saw solid and in some cases outperformance on other programs in the quarter that offset this charge, which reflects positively on the business overall. Also, it is important to note the weekly cost of staying in a social distancing mode in our space infrastructure facilities is now running much lower than our initial experience. On a quarter-over-quarter -quarter basis compared to Q1, revenues increased 40%. This was driven by the $32 million in charges taken in Q1 on COVID and related EAC growth and the identification of a design anomaly in the final stages of a testing process. While we did experience additional COVID-related charges in the current quarter, given our new assumptions about the return to normal operations, we believe we captured the full extent of the design anomaly charges in Q1. Quarter over quarter compared to Q1, our adjusted EBITDA margins in space infrastructure expanded roughly 3,500 excuse me, 3,500 basis points to 6% in the second quarter, driven by the COVID and program-related charges taken in Q1, and improved performance generally in the current quarter, as I described earlier. The second half of the year, we expect revenues to grow sequentially as we ramp work on recent U.S. government commercial program awards. We also expect adjusted EBITDA improvements in the second half of the year to offset the wind-down or deferred revenue with a healthier program mix, in addition to our expectation, the significant charges taken in the first half of the year related to COVID, developmental, and supplier-driven EAC growth, and the design anomaly identified in Q1 will not recur at that level if they occur at all. Here to date, revenues are down 19% due in large part to reduced volumes on commercial programs and year-to-date COVID-19-related EACs. These factors are partially upset by an increase in volume related to U.S. government contracts. Adjusted EBITDA margins are down 1,020 basis points due to the design anomaly identified Q1 by year-to-date COVID-19-related EAC charges and program losses incurred on development bills. Please turn to slide nine. The company generated $79 million in operating cash flow this quarter and invested $68 million in CapEx and developed intangibles. Year-to-date free cash consumption is $62 million. As a reminder, cash interest payments on our 23 notes are due in Q2 and Q4. This leads to higher cash interest payments in those quarters compared to Q1 and Q3. Please turn to slide 10. We finished the quarter with consolidated net debt of roughly $2.4 billion, now $680 million from Q1 of this year. Our bank-defined leverage ratio ended the quarter at approximately 4.4, down roughly three-tenths of a term from Q1, driven by the repayment of debt during the quarter. This compares to our covenant of seven and a half times. Beginning this quarter, the covenant calculations only include our continuing operations, and the repayment of debt more than offset the loss of earnings from the MDA sale. Of note, the current leverage ratio includes the 150 million in 2027 notes used to pay for the Brycon asset, 
does not yet fully capture the adjusted EBITDA uplift we expect in future periods. We had roughly $513 million liquidity at the end of the quarter, excluding the $140 million of cash used to complete the purchase of RICON after quarter close. Please turn to slide 11 for a quick update on our projected debt structure going forward. As you know, we generated roughly $1 billion over the past 12 months through asset sales and divestitures, refinanced our near-term debt last fall, and moved maturity schedules out. As a result, we do not have any material debt coming due until December 2023. Proceeds from those recent sale transactions were used to reduce indebtedness, including the repurchase of a portion of our term loan B and our 2023 bonds. To finance the Vricon transaction, we issued a new $150 million seven-year note with a lower coupon at 7.5% and with lighter covenants than the four-year note we issued back in December last year. So overall, a good trade that puts our capital structure on even firmer footing as maturity dates align better with future cash flow streams. We remain focused on delevering and expect to use forecasted cash flow streams over the next several years to reduce indebtedness. At the same time, we expect the investments we're making now, in particular, the Legion Constellation of RICON, to drive future revenue and profit growth. Our medium-term target for leverage remains 4x, and over the longer term, we would like to drive it towards 3x. At this point, we have no major maturities due until the end of 2023. Please turn to slide 12 for discussion on 2020 guidance. Dan mentioned we're increasing our adjusted EBITDA guidance to a range of 415 to 445 million. This brings the midpoint of our guidance up 40 million from the first quarter earnings call and up 10 million from the midpoint of guidance for 2020 we spoke to on our fourth quarter, fourth quarter earnings call. I'd like to remind investors that we initially lowered our guidance in the first quarter due to the 32 million in charges we took in the space infrastructure business. In Earth Intelligence, we've increased the revenue outlook modestly to incorporate the benefit of having 100% of RICOM's operations flowing through our financial statements. As Dan mentioned earlier, we're still seeking, still seeing some risk in Earth Intelligence business due to longer commercial sales cycles stemming from COVID, which acts to offset this benefit somewhat. However, as a reminder, we will experience 40 million in decreased revenue and adjust EBITDA in the second half of the year as original enhanced view deferral burns off. For space infrastructure, revenue guidance moves higher due to scope growth on existing programs and recent bookings. EBITDA moves higher given the improved revenue outlook, a more optimistic view of COVID impacts, the successful closeout of the test anomaly disclosed last quarter, as well as solid performance on other programs and backlog. With respect to cash, we've not changed our guidance from what was originally issued in the 2019 fourth quarter earnings call. In general, the ultimate impact of the COVID-19 pandemic remains uncertain, but we've made reasonable assumptions based on our assessment of the information available to us at this time. So to summarize my comments, we are progressing on positioning the company for medium and longer-term revenue, profit, and cash flow growth. This is demonstrated by our continued growth in Earth Intelligence, 
solid bookings for the second consecutive quarter in space infrastructure, and the acquisition of the remaining interest in the Brycon joint venture. We have successfully deleveraged from year end, our liquidity is strong, and we have continued to appropriately manage the effects of COVID-19. We continue to successfully operate in our current posture and will continue to deliver on mission-critical solutions to our customers. With that, I'd like to turn the call back over to the operator for Q&A. Operator? And at this time, if you would like to ask a question, that star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. And that star followed by the number one to ask a question. And our first question comes from Ben Ornstein with J.P. Morgan. Thanks, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. I was hoping that you might be able to uh, give us some more insight on how you see the, the walk to cash flow in 2021, and specifically if you could kind of touch on how much spending you still have in front of you for uh, world division. You want to take that I'll one? Take that one if you like. Yeah, take that one, Dan. Sure. So we're yeah, it's still too early to guide on uh, 21 explicitly. Uh, we do expect uh, certainly Legion spending to uh, wind up obviously next year as we get the launch. Uh, but the exact timing of expending this year versus next year uh, can always vary a little bit. And we have other discretionary CapEx that we'll have to watch as we go this year versus next year. Uh, all we said in general was that we do expect uh, next year's uh, free cash flow to certainly be uh, much better uh, because of the completion of the Legion program and the wind down of it coming out of this year and the next year, and uh, that we do expect uh, good operating cash flow. Otherwise, we've said that we're not guiding. We said next year could be free cash flow positive, but it's, at this point in time, there's too many uh, timing variables uh, to, uh, uh, to really be predictive at this point in the year. But we feel uh, certainly good about what we accomplished. Uh, the Legion program is still uh, progressing uh, as we uh, expected from an overall budgetary standpoint and uh, still expect uh, to launch in the first half of next year. So uh, everything is, uh, uh, is is positive and headed directionally towards what I said of having significant better free cash flow next year, possibly being positive. Okay, thanks. And can you just kind of quickly break down, I mean, the, at the midpoint, the EBITDA guidance is up 40 million. How much of that is coming from Vricon, uh, space infrastructure, or other Earth intelligence? So uh, looking at uh, the guidance increase, I would say uh, you know, a lot of it is reflecting what we uh, captured in Q2 as strong performance. And then with respect to Vricon, uh, we would um, – Expect the results for the year to be 15 to 20 million dollars at EBITDA. Uh, Vicon is lumpy in terms of its sales and its earnings. You may remember that from fourth quarter performance last year. So there can be some timing fluctuations with respect to Vicon, but we're thinking between 15 and 20. Uh, 
the uh, if you added everything up, you'd say, gee, then there's some conservatism left, and the conservatism that's left is really uh, what we see is, is the potential softness in commercial uh, sales on uh, on Earth intelligence, and also for uh, uh, some uh, uh, some variation in expense, second half versus first half. Uh, but you you add all those things together, and you're right at the middle of the range uh, with you know reasonable upside off of that. If if Rikon outperforms, or if we capture uh, the commercial ENI sales, uh, or we uh, underrun on, on uh, ex expenses uh, in the second half, more like we did here in the second quarter. Great, thank you. And our next question comes from Steve Arthur with RBC. Great, thank you. Just a couple of quick follow-ups. Um, Wondering if it's possible to elaborate any more on your perspectives on the ongoing NRO evaluation. Uh, I did understand your comments earlier, and I'm sure you're somewhat limited in what you can say, but any color on their decision process uh, and timeline? Has it been impacted, like some of your commercial programs you mentioned, uh, as well as the scope of the program uh, and the work that's being discussed that you're competing for, you know, kind of relative to the current Enhanced View program? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Steve, and, and great to have you back. Um, you. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, as as, as I mentioned, uh, the the NRO program has has continued apace, um, and and it, in accordance and sort of along the lines of what we've expected so far. Uh, they awarded us a one year study contract back in June of 19, and we completed that earlier this year. Um, we do expect the renewal on the enhanced view contract, but but like I said, we do expect also that sometime prior to September of 2021. Uh, that will enter into a new contract with the government, a different type of uh, contracting vehicle. And um, uh, it's probably not more a lot to say about it at this point, other than, you, you know, we're, we're confident in the types of services and uh, capabilities we provide. Uh, believe they're directly in line with the customer's expectations and needs. And believe we're very well positioned, uh, both with the architecture we have on orbit now, uh, the ground systems and infrastructure that we use to, to satisfy the, the national needs uh, on a time-dominant basis, and also then with the Legion architecture coming online and moving seamlessly into that, that environment. Um, so, you know, we, we continue overall, I guess, to believe that our, our relationship with the U.S. government will, will grow in the future, um, and uh, we're, we, we feel good about where we're positioned for this next phase of our ability to serve the, the, the national needs and that very important customer. Okay, we'll uh, continue to watch that. Um, I guess final one, just following up on Drycon, I guess it's only been a month now since you've, you've closed the, the purchase of the rest of that business. But I guess just what are you seeing there in terms of expanded revenue opportunities and has your sales approach or your development efforts changed materially with this new ownership structure? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I mean, we're really excited. It, it, it has only been about a, a month now, a little over a month since we've been operating as one company. But I'd, I'd say it's it's going really well. Uh, the, we've worked with the Vricon team very closely over the years, so we know them well. They know us. Um, the teams are, I, are really excited about bringing the technology closer to the source data and the constellation planning, and, and also the product teams are working very closely together to be able to figure out ways to accelerate product development that we believe are essential for current and future uh, customer missions. Um, 
so I, I think if anything, we're we're just as excited, if not more excited, than uh, when we when we completed the uh, the, the final aspects of the acquisition here, um, seeing how the teams are aligned and seeing how they're working together. Uh, we see some really great technology and software and other capabilities coming out of the the combination of the products and services that we have together. Thanks, I'll leave it there for now. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Steve. And our next question comes from Thanos Machopoulos with BMO Capital Markets. Hey, Thanos. Good afternoon. Hey, Dan. Um, just to clarify and tell us that you said you haven't factored into your outlook, uh, but just to be clear, is that still a piece of business that you're actively pursuing at this point? Um, well, I think what I'd say right now is we're, it's kind of every quarter, it's been the next quarter. Uh, in its current form, we're, we're not expecting active participation. We're very happy to help the customer if, if it, uh, their, their expectations or timing change here. Uh, we just didn't want people thinking we were you know, deep in the throes of this and, and you know, getting ready to announce something in the near term. Uh, Telesat's been a longtime customer of ours. Customer of ours. Uh, we've built a lot of geosatellites for them. Um, it, if and when they need us, uh, either for that or for the, the Telesat Leo program, as it, it may morph in the future, we're very happy to provide services. So it's it's potential upside in the future, but I wouldn't say it's something we've modeled into the guidance we've given long term. Okay. And um, can you expand a bit on the uh, supply chain and how that's looking right now? I mean, obviously, it seems like it's improving. Um, at this point, uh, where would you still see risks? To what extent are there still risks? Or is, is it just looking a heck of a lot better than it was a couple months ago? Yeah, thanks. You know what? I think what we're 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 very actively monitoring the supply chain uh, on a sort of a daily basis uh, in key counterparties. We we've always done that, but we're really laser focused on that now. Um, by and large, the supply chain, uh, most areas across the world, particularly in the U.S. but other jurisdictions, have well been designated as essential industries, so they've continued to operate and continue to work. Um, but as we're watching really closely, you know, as, as COVID resurges in different parts of the U.S., different parts internationally, um, uh, it could impact, uh, I don't think, the, the overall health of the supply chain in general, but it could impact the timing of some things. And so we're, we're not, it's a lot better than our outlook was in Q1, uh, but we're continuing to keep a close eye on it um, and, uh, you know, sort of monitor the situation. But and overall, we feel okay. But but I um, I don't want to declare any kind of victory given the, the some of the step backs that COVID has has you know what what's happened across the world and across the U.S. and some states right now. Great, and then just finally, um, it might be too early to talk about uh, next year, but you mentioned you'd expect normalized base infrastructure margins of north of 10% in future years. And so given the current strength of the uh, space infrastructure backlog and the timing of, of programs that you have in hand. Um, could you see that potential for 2021? Well, as, as Biggs would remind me, we, we haven't given guidance yet for 2021. <laughs> um, so I get a little uh, nervous about getting out of my, ahead of my skis there. We, we, we still do have some, some uh, large uh, loss lead programs we're, we're rolling off uh, in the factory. Um, those, those do roll out in 2021. So until they're all the way you know, past the phases and everything, uh, we're going to be a little cautious about going all the way to where we, we expect the future of the business to be. But I think probably what you see are some green shoots or some, you know, indicative performance of what the business can do going forward in this quarter. And we're really excited about that and hopefully seeing that trend uh, continue and accelerate. 
Great. Thanks, Dan. Have a fun. Thanks, Dennis. And our next question comes from Robert Bingon with Credit Suisse. Hi. Um, hey, Robert. Good afternoon. How's it going? A couple. Of, how are you? Uh, really, just some some clarifications. I'll start with Telesat. Um, Dan, should I interpret what you were saying as it just may not materialize into an opportunity, or the business case may not work for you? Well, I I, I don't want to you know get out ahead of anything uh, this particular customer may or may not do. Um, for us, I think the the answer there is some combination of what you just said. We're not in an active hunt right now. And uh, it, it may or may not materialize eventually back in our business. I'm not sure. But we don't want to give anybody the impression, because it's talked about quite a bit, it's been in the press, that we're, you know, have an announcement around the corner or anything along those lines. Um, the second part of that, though, is we're, we're as we roll off some of the lost forward programs we had, uh, we're very cognizant of this, particularly in very, very large programs, making sure the risk-reward profile matches what we expect the business to do. And so if there's a lot of development work, if there's a lot of uh, potential for uh, increased costs or anything like that, uh, as you take on some of these uh, firm fixed price programs, we've got to be very thoughtful about the, the risk-reward profile in the equation. And where we do take risk, make sure it's, you know, it's manageable risk and we can mitigate it uh, as we believe we can going forward, and also that there's a commensurate reward for that. Um, which is very different than the cost plus type programs uh, that we were able to pursue in the future, particularly on the U.S. government side here. Okay. Uh, speaking of U.S. government, if we think about your objectives to penetrate that customer more, how do we think about the current relative size of the, of the government business uh, domestic between the various segments and where you could be down the road in terms of what your goals are? Can you can you ref uh, refresh us on how big it is right now and what your aspirations yeah, are? Yeah, well, we're – so uh, the, the th kind of just on the space infrastructure side of this would probably be the best place to think about it. That's where we're really striving for diversification. We've got great penetration on the Earth intelligence side already and are continuing to grow there. On the space side of the business, um, about we're about 60% commercial, almost 40% um, uh, U.S. civil programs now, primarily NASA, uh, some other stuff tossed in there as well. Um, uh, over time, I think what we'd like to see is a third, a third, and a third. So about a third be commercial, a third be NASA-type civil programs, and a third be defense uh, and intel-related programs. Um, we're pretty. We've won, we've started winning some study contracts on the national defense intelligence side, but we're pretty nascent in, in terms of getting to the point where we can win the big, bigger uh, chunks of programs there. Although we're in the hunt on stuff, which is encouraging. Uh, we're getting good positive feedback signs from the customers as we continue to develop our capabilities and uh, explain the story of what we do have and how we can uh, develop particularly uh, things that where they need things to go fast. Um, uh, on cycle times uh, in a cost-effective manner. Uh, we think we're particularly good uh, for distributed architectures, for example. Um, so kind of that's, that's sort of the, the, the long term, I would think, there. Uh, the, the, as we do our market analysis of this, the biggest customer set in the world is the U.S. government. And the two biggest customers in the world are the defense intelligence side of that and uh, NASA. And so we're very excited uh, with the traction we've gotten with NASA to this point. We're looking forward to a day when we can confidently, uh, you know, look back and talk about how much traction we've got on the defense intelligence side. We're just not there yet. 
Okay, great answer. Thank you. Um, just one last one. Um, I think that you mentioned the possibility to outperform the guide um, on commercial imagery demand in, in Earth intelligence. And I wondered if you could just elaborate on that a little bit. I, I imagine you don't want to say too much, but, you know, how we should think about that comment. Yeah, I think I think Biggs made that. I'll let him elaborate a bit here. Yeah, it's, I think I uh, was indicating that our guidance at the middle of the range uh, presumed that we had uh, softness in the second half on uh, commercial Earth intelligence sales, which which Dan commented on in his remarks as being the one area where the sales cycle is just is extending uh, in the current COVID environment. Uh, I said that uh, if you looked at what could take us to the upper end of our range, or what I was trying to say was, if you take, if you look at what might take us to the upper end of the range, one of the things that might do that would be is if uh, we in fact succeed in uh, meeting, you know, our what we would like to have as our internal objectives with respect to commercial uh, earth intelligence sales and overcome, uh, if you will, the, the sales cycle uh, uh, spread that we've, uh, our stretch that we've, we've been observing. Okay, okay, that, that, that helps. I'd actually ask on the back of this, because we've just seen this with some of the other companies that we follow, um, has the sales cycle improved in any areas? We've just noticed with some of the services companies we've talked to that customer focus is a little bit more keen or acute since people aren't running around traveling and getting distracted with those sorts of things. So have you seen some positive um, behavior in the, in, the, in the sales process in other areas? Yeah, we, we have. Um, you know, the C-band that moving through has, has obviously been helpful on the space side. On the Earth Intelligence side, We've really seen uh, some interesting and I think dynamic positive long-term trends for us, um, where the use of uh, commercial non-classified imagery, the the ability to hit our platforms from any place in the world, including a, a work-from-home environment, um, some of the products and, and analytics tools we're increasingly putting into that online platform environment are getting a lot of uptake, um, and and it's easier for people to access them, uh, and and they can drill down and do more training on them now as well. Uh, so we're we're excited by that trend, and and the world hasn't gotten any quieter in the past uh, uh, six months at all. And so the need for our our analytics tools and our intelligence aspects of the Earth intelligence side of the business have been we've seen good uptake. So the commercial side's uh, a little longer, but the defense and intelligence and the U.S. Uh, government side have seemed to be clicking right along, and in some cases. We're doing things more intimately with customers than we might have been in a normal normal type of environment. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much for all the help. Yeah, thanks a lot, Rob. And your next question comes from Tim James with TD Securities. <clears throat> uh, thank you. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, just wondering if you could talk about your kind of longer-term adjusted EBITDA and free cash flow thinking. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of going back to some of the targets that were put out at the uh, the investor day last year. Obviously, uh, some things have changed, like the, the purchase of the uh, the interest in Vricon, et cetera. Is there any reason that we shouldn't sort of 
take these positive developments with the business since that time and, and accordingly um, think about higher uh, adjusted EBITDA and free cash flow potential relative to some of those targets that you had originally identified? I'll let Biggs answer that question, but I'll just note uh, at the start of it that the, the investor day was actually this year. I, I know it feels like it was over a year ago, <laughs> given all the events we've had in the world, but um, it was it was it was March of this year, just a couple of quarters ago. That's Biggs, do you want to give some more that. color on on the uh, question? Sure. Yeah, it was just uh, early March uh, that we gave the outlook, uh, or at least laid it out. Most recently, uh, we had. Uh, given it a you know a less detailed level prior to that going back to last year, but in March we we laid it out a level detail for everybody to follow. I think that uh, you know we said with respect to Vicon that it was you know additive uh, to this year. It's logically uh, you know additive to the business overall. That's why we did it. Uh, having said that. We're not at this point in time going to discreetly go and uh, change uh, long-term guidance uh, for that one item uh, because there are so many things to monitor over time. And I'm not trying to say there's anything negative going on. I don't think there is, but uh, we're not going to, you know, update the long-term guidance every quarter uh, for uh, for changes. Uh, uh, you know. We'll, we'll do that judiciously as we go through time. Yeah, okay, that, that's helpful. And I guess, and, and maybe Big, I think you sort of answered my question there, um, in that uh, there's nothing sort of notable that has gone against uh, plan relative to the original indications, I guess. No, I, you know, we're, we're still, you know, we're still marching ahead, uh, executing our strategies and. I think as Dan has reflected in his comments, uh, we feel good about what we've accomplished and what we have in front of us. Uh, you know, no, nobody knows what what COVID does over the next year, but that's one of the, you know the guidance is out. Uh, you know, longer period beyond that, and I don't see how at this point in time uh, any of the current you know circumstances around COVID affect the longer term. As I said, we're not, you know, we're not formally going to, you know, confirm or update the guidance every quarter, uh, but we feel good about where we are. Okay. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. And then just one um, last question: the, the 17 million in developmental, uh, I guess the losses in SI in the second quarter. Is there any way to think about how that number should progress or trend going forward? Um, does it sort of gradually decline with, with future quarters? Yes, yeah, so uh, we made the assumption on COVID, I guess what your question is with respect to, that we stay in the current operating posture out through the end of this year. And, you know, if, if that assumption uh, holds up and uh, there aren't any other, you know, unforeseen impacts, uh, then uh, we wouldn't really expect future charges because uh, we account for it on a you know forecasted estimated complete basis. Uh, also, some of our 
you know, newer business, we bid knowing the environment we're operating in already and with some contractual protection on top of that, should there be deviation. So I, I, I certainly can't tell you there won't be future charges, but if our assumptions hold together, I would hope that there's not. Um, the, uh, uh, and so, uh, like everybody else, we just have to watch as it goes and uh, hope that uh, things you know don't get worse, that we, in fact, are able to operate more normally starting early next year. Uh, if it extends beyond that, uh, that we have to operate this environment, then there could be increased costs and charges. But if you think about it, we, we went out six months and only took an additional $6 million of EAC growth. So uh, that gives you an idea of you know, the impact as we see it now, and that being much less than what we were looking at when we were doing the first read on this uh, at the uh, end of the first quarter when it was also new. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tim. And our next question comes from Chris Quilty with Quilty Analytics. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, Dan, I wanted to start first with the Enhanced View follow-on. Sounds like that continues on with a, a re-up. But the uh, CSPOB uh, Phase B program, that I assume you're indicating is incremental. So does that mean we should see incremental revenues, assuming you're one of the, the winners of the three, three companies bidding on it? I, I, I'm not sure I'd... I'd necessarily go right there yet, Chris. I, I think there's a number of different potential outcomes. Um, I'm very reluctant to, to speak for the customer until they issue their final RFPs and their final awards here. And they're, they'll go through that phase on their timeline. But So I, I think there's, look, I, I, I think that the, the two things I would keep in mind here are that um, the National Reconnaissance Office leadership has said they expect to increasingly use commercial. Um, and that they expect the you know that to go up over time, um, and that they see it as part of the uh, importance of the mission architecture for the na the nation's needs. Um, I so I, I think probably that's about as much as I'd say right now. I think we're well positioned, um, but I, I certainly don't want to speculate on where the customers can end up. Okay, and a, a clarification, I, it was my understanding that was awarded in the government's fiscal fourth quarter of this year, and I think you said 21 uh, for the program award? Is it um, I, wanna, I guess I want to make sure we're sort of talking about the same stuff. Right now, we're, we're performing and continue to perform under the Enhanced Fee Follow-On Program. The, the program that we're currently operating under, we expect that the option gets picked up sometime this quarter in Q3, as it as it normally does every year. But that sometime between when this gets picked up in its current form and before it gets renewed in September of 2021, that they they there's a chance or a likelihood or we're getting indications that things get moved to a new contract vehicle. Okay. Um, switching over to the space infrastructure uh, and specifically on the defense and intelligence, um, Given the fact that uh, the DOD, at least, isn't buying many GEO buses, is it fair to assume that most of your proposals are on the LEO side with uh, the Legion bus or the 
constellation, Leo constellation bus? Well, I, I think uh, on the on the DoD and the IC side, what what we're seeing is an awful lot of interest on proliferated constellations. Um, mostly, that's showing up in the Leo area right now, but there's a range of things that uh, could end up in communications or C4 type ISR type architectures going forward, and those could be at Leo, Mio, or Geo, and they each have their advantages and disadvantages. And so uh, we're 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 in the we're in the hunt across all those chains. We believe we bring capabilities into all those environments as well. Understand, and specific to the LEO Constellation bus that you were developing for Telesat, um, do you see other applications that was a, a relatively uh, purpose-built bus design? Obviously, you weren't bending metal, but are there other ways you can take that effort and leverage into other programs? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, a, a lot of the work and a lot of the technology we have and the, the engineering, I mean, expertise and, and technological work that's gone on to this point is, is still within the walls of the IP of the company, and we're, we're uh, looking at a number of different opportunities. And, and I think we have very strong LEO capabilities, uh, both for the defense, infra, defense intelligence infrastructure as well as for commercial applications. And, you know, sort of as a reminder, the Worldview Legion uh, buses is Leo as well. Understand, and on the uh, the C-band orders, uh, now that we realized what they were or confirmed what they were, pretty compressed time schedule on delivery there. Does that create any uh, you know unusual timing patterns, either in revenue or profit recognition, uh, and you know how well do you expect that to ramp? Uh, given the current COVID environment, are you good on you know long lead inventory for that program? Uh, well, I'm I'm very pleased to say that these these slide in very well into our current manufacturing capabilities, um, and uh, we are confident uh, in the timelines on which we need to deliver, incur including the long-term lead time inventory aspects of this. Um, we uh, we've been engaged with the customer for a significant amount of time on these, um, and uh, believe we are positioned very well to deliver on the customer's timelines. And so you'll see the, the cash flow and the revenue, you know, sort of ramp and, and model accordingly on the on the, the build and the delivery schedules we've laid out. You know, we, we don't talk a lot about our exact customer schedules or anything contract by contract, but there's a lot more information about these. And there's a lot of public information from the uh, the FCC side and the C-band awards and, and what or, or what needs to happen on certain timelines. And, we're, we're confident of being able to meet the customer's objectives there. Great. I would just add that these are, these are you know, satellites that are very similar to ones we built before. So uh, in that case, uh, you know, much more predictable in terms of cost and schedule. And as Dan said, we did work with the customer to protect the supply chain uh, uh, on these and uh, put ourselves in a good position. Great. And final question on Earth Intelligence and the uh, the softness in the commercial order cycle. If I remember years ago, you, you took a lot of those customers that were doing sort of bulk end-of-year buys and converted them into to longer-term contract vehicles. And, and if that's so, where would the softness come from if you're working off of multiple-year contracts with, a, I believe, a significant portion of your customers there? 
Yeah, I, so I think the way to think about this, uh, Chris, is that we do have a very healthy set of longer-term uh, contracts, uh, particularly in the, the U.S. technology space, and we're comfortable about that piece of it. The softness we're seeing is, is some more of the transactional type stuff or some of the new business we'd expected to win. Uh, if you think about it regionally, it's, it's more Asia than anywhere else right now um, that we're watching it very closely. Uh, it's, it's harder to throw people on airplanes and, and spend as much time um, in close proximity to the customers. And the time zones are pretty wacky as well. And we're, we're just seeing a, uh, where we're seeing the elongation of the sales cycle. It's, it's more there than anywhere else. So it sounds like you would attribute that almost entirely to COVID-related uh, effects? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think probably the way I'd, I'd, one word you, you said just triggered a little bit, we're not seeing a softening of the market or the demand signals. What we're seeing is an elongation of the sales cycle. Uh, the demand is still there. We still believe there's strong interest in, in um, needs for the, the products and services we provide, but, but it's taking longer to get all the way through the different procurement aspects of those phases, whether they be commercial or government customers, uh, particularly as we try and knock down some new business in that region. Great. Thanks for the responses. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. And our next question comes from Austin Moeller with Canaccord Genuity. Hi, guys. This is Austin on Burkan. Hey, Austin. Hi. Um, so just my first question, um, just given the effects of the COVID slowdown sort of on operations at SSL and the importance of the Legion constellation in getting 30-centimeter imagery and uh, higher revis rate up on orbit for you guys, um, has the effect of the pandemic on operations at SSL put any pressure on the schedule margin for, uh, you know, the critical path in terms of getting those launched? Uh, has, have you seen anything like that yet? That's a great question. I, what I'd say is we've adapted, I think, on our side very, very well to the uh, to the protective measures, the social protocols, uh, protective gear, those kinds of things. And, and a lot of what happens for these types of satellites is in uh, 10,000 plus clean rooms. So it's a pretty safe environment to start with um, for people. Uh, so, but I think what we're watching even more closely is whether there are any impacts on the supply chain. We haven't seen specific COVID-related aspects to that, um, that you'd call out, oh, hey, that's COVID or that's something else. But uh, we do have vendors that are making parts and things that will go on into the final um, assembly, and then the which we'll do before we go into environmental on these. And we're watching that aspect of it closely. It's just everything feels just a little bit slower, uh, test, retest, um, how fast things go through their own environments for, for, for testing. Uh, so we've been watching that very closely. We think that's appropriately built into all the safety factors and the risk margin we've got in the schedule right now, uh, which is why, you know, we, we said we're still confident in the first half launch, but we're, we're watching it very closely. Um, and if things develop differently, we'll, we'll, we'll let people know as soon as we can about that. Um, okay. You know, just, uh, um, and, and kind of, you know, we'll think about that through the entire phase and process as well. Uh, we're watching the launch providers. These these satellites are going to be launched in the U.S. with SpaceX, and SpaceX can, seems to be keeping pretty well on schedule with launch ops. Um, we've got teams down in uh, French Guiana with Ariane Space right now, and we're watching events there closely as well and, and whether there are any impacts or timelines or how people operate uh, on those facilities. Okay. 
Okay, um, awesome. And so switching gears here, just to sort of talk about, you know, you guys have obviously had uh, a lot stronger uh, geosatellite orders this year, particularly until SAT, and also, um, you know, uh, the contract with NASA for the Gateway, et cetera. Um, so do you guys see importance in, you know, investing more R&D in sort of small geo, just given the inherent advantages of geo? Um, you guys had had that recent order with Ozon for the SSL 100. Um, so do you see uh, it being more important in, you know, expanding the product offerings there in the small geo space? You know, I think uh, what, what we're seeing is that there are a lot more of a proliferation of business cases and, and use cases than say, there might have been three years ago when it was either, you know, really novel LEO ideas or traditional GEO. And we're seeing a range of customer ideas and, and needs across that spectrum. The Ovzon Award, as you, as you note, is a particularly good example of that where we reconfigured a smaller class bus uh, to a, 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 a GEO-type mission. Um, I, I think what it means for us is we're, we're going to have to be more nimble in the future, uh, less volumetrically driven and a lot more um, nimble in terms of the technology and the mission architecture needs that particular customer uh, requirements will look like. Uh, we're very, very good and particularly good in bus design uh, and bus uh, manufacturing and architecture. Um, we're really good with the power and propulsion elements of what those mean in the communication side. And so we'll we'll try and play where we can to our strengths in those areas. Okay. Um, and then just the last question here. So the the acquisition of Rycon, do you see that as strategically, um, especially with the you know uh, the advantages of the IP just on 3D satellite imagery for either uh, ISR or precision guided munitions, particularly on the, the government side? as sort of a uh, key differentiator between you and competitors as the contracting vehicle may change as we move past enhanced view? Um, I, I, I wouldn't tie it necessarily directly, directly to the contracting vehicle past enhanced view. I think that uh, what you're seeing more is that the, uh, and I guess, you know, sort of as the, the broad concept here, we see it as very strategic. Uh, the Vricon acquisition and very important to our future business ideas and plans. Um, with the 3D technology, and remember, we're taking Maxar's regular satellite data here and and using the software and the artificial intelligence and the algorithms and whatnot to to create a, a, a photorealistic, highly accurate 3D data set from that at speed, at scale, at country level scale. And nobody else in the world can do that. And so what you're taking is now satellite imagery becomes way more interesting um, in a 3D environment, uh, the, the, the artificial intelligence algorithms for analytics work way better in 3D than they do in just 2D. Um, we get better accuracy on the 2D data using the 3D models back on it. So instead of being at 10 or 5, we're driving towards 3 and 2, and, and, and in some cases, 1 meter spherical accuracy in our models and able to offer that to customers. And suddenly that starts opening up new use cases for them, like targeting uh, like autonomous vehicle navigation in ways that the, um, the satellite data wasn't as good at or wasn't useful at in the prior manifestation. So we're I mean, we're really excited about this. Uh, it, as that creates more and more pull through, the, the 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 people that are the functional managers for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency (NGA) 
uh, the U.S. Army, One World Terrain, um, Air Force, the Special Operations Command, and others, we'll drive the requirements back to NRO and say, hey, we need more of this or we want more of this. So over time, it will drive more demand uh, for our particular class of assets and services um, with the NRO, I believe. But I, but I think it's probably, you know, too early to drive that direct correlation from one to the other right now. Okay, yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for all the color. Appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. And our next question comes from Stephen Lee with Raymond James. Hey, guys, thanks. Uh, got one for Biggs. Uh, should the, the cash flow guide, should it not have improved uh, with, given the differs from the CARES Act and, and the higher EBITDA guide? Uh, was there an offset? Thanks. I, I think the easiest way for me to uh, answer that is just say it was a, a very broad range to begin with. Uh, and cash is, as you know, be very driven by timing of receipts right at year end. You may remember a, uh, a year ago, uh, or two years ago, we had one payment from the government that slipped from right at the end of December into January. So there can be a lot of variables to go forecast, and we didn't feel like at this point in time, uh, even though there were obvious pos obviously positives uh, overall, that it, it made sense to go and uh, adjust against what's a pretty broad range to begin with. Okay, got it. So it's 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 mostly timing, Biggs. Yeah. I, I, the yeah the range is broad because of timing, so you know when you and then when you start to tweak one variable within that, uh, you don't necessarily produce a, a, a different overall result. So, uh, Got it. We'll, okay, we'll, thanks, we'll guys. See, we'll see how it goes through the third quarter, and then maybe uh, you know tighten the range, move it if appropriate. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Now our next question comes from Richard C. with National Bank Finance. Yes, uh, thank you. Just uh, one quick one on the NRO and the potential for sort of multi-sourcing here. Are, are there technologies that are sort of missing from your portfolio that would cause that? And could you sort of buy into that or build that capability if that's the case? Um, thanks, Richard. Let me think just about that for a second. I think what I'd say is if it's electro-optical imagery, we believe we are, uh, well, we, you know, the world leader here, and we're going to take another leap forward with the Legion Constellation, so we're very good there. Um, the, the way NRO thinks about commercial imagery, it may include other things as well. Uh, it may include radar. It may include uh, RF capabilities or other things that commercial providers can now uh, deliver. And so um, – it's always possible that, that those are things that, that we may or may not choose to invest in the future. Some others have chosen to invest there. Uh, we've got to see the business case close before we make, um, you know, sort of large investments in one of those areas or not. Um, we believe on the, on the electro-optical, the, the earth imagery part of what we're, we're providing um, at large scale on a, on a, you know, minute by minute basis here, we're, we're very well positioned in that piece of the, of the environment. Okay. I was asking because uh, I think in your comments you said that they're increasingly looking at commercial, and I was just sort of wondering if there's any commercial capabilities that are out there that uh, uh, cause them to lean that way. Um, 
but I guess yeah, I guess we'll, we'll we'll figure that out down the road here. Yeah, I think there's a lot of phenomenologies that they're interested in. Uh, a lot of it boils down to what's the best use case for solving somebody's mission set on the other end of this. So a monitoring or a mapping or an analytics mission um, for the warfighters or or others in the U.S. government that need that kind of data. Okay, great. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Richard. Okay, operator. Um, I think we've uh, reached the end of our uh, queue here, as well as uh, the time we've got allotted for this call. So I, I just want to thank you um, for helping us out today and for uh, those that both dialed in uh, to listen, as well as those that uh, called in to, to ask some questions. Appreciate your interest in MaxR uh, and look forward to um, catching up all with all of you um, next quarter on our third quarter call. Uh, thanks and have a great evening, everyone. And that does conclude today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.